1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will
0: win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo fellas. Thanks so much, Darlene. And with that said, hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. My name is Aaron Berlin. My co-host, his name is Otto Strong. This is going to be a really fun edition. Not only are we going to take a look back at 2019, we might take a look back at some of our favorite moments of the past decade. We're also going to take a look ahead to what we're excited about in 2020 and beyond with what's going on in the NBA. But before we get on into that, I have to welcome in My co-host, his name is Otto Strong. Otto, how's it going, my man?
1: Doing well, Aaron. Thank you. Um, Happy holidays to you. And I know that you uh, recently completed a long drive from the Sunshine State up to KC. How are you feeling?
0: I'm, I'm a little tired, you know, so when I do long trips like that, I I don't like to stop, but I got kind of fortunate. My girlfriend did a vast majority of the driving. So it's a 17 hour drive auto. She did about 13 hours of it. And a lot of people will sit here and say, well, did you not offer? I offered the entire way. She just wasn't going to take me up on it. Wouldn't let me drive. So I just watched movies the entire way. You know, I chatted, I listened to some podcasts. I listened to the latest Sonic Boom podcast, which I thought was really good. We can get into that later. But you know, it, it was a long drive. I'm happy to be home. Happy for the holidays. But do you have anything planned over the holiday break?
1: Uh, just just hanging out with family over the holidays. At this point, uh, I did get in my my, uh, my Star Wars on opening day. I saw that. I'm not going to give anything away. Uh, so, what I, were your I know, thoughts? I don't think on you've it. seen it yet. Uh, it, they did certain things well and didn't do other things well, and <laughs> that's as much as I want to say. Uh, there's a lot more to say, and I would be happy to expound on that at some point but i don't want to give anything away because i've imagined there are quite a few people who have yet to see it so i'll leave it at that
0: i guess the only question i have for you i'm not a huge star wars person i'm going to see it later on in the week but did you enjoy the new characters that they introduced with this trilogy i know a lot of people had said that they kind of had a hard time just relating to some of the characters that they introduced in this latest trilogy i didn't know for someone like you who grew up with the movies if that was something for you
1: well, to to your point, I I was eight when I saw the first one. I'm now fifty, seeing seeing the last one in in this uh, in this trilogy. Uh, I do like the fact that they've made efforts to uh, include people of color, include women in in heroic roles or even non-heroic roles, but major roles. So that was definitely a step that we didn't really see in 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 '77. Um, so I'm I'm pleased with that. Uh, that said, the I don't think there's really going to be any. Way you can top the chemistry of of uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill. I mean, that's just that's just the stuff of legend. So, uh, I, I I applaud the the, the crew for for you know, doing as much as they could do. But you're up against like rare air there. Uh, it's just not fair to, to necessarily compare compare the two in that regard.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to see it this week. We'll have to talk offline about it. But, you know, the fun thing about the end of 2019, you know, I think a lot of people who have worked in the NBA and have covered the league for a long time says, you know, the league doesn't really start the calendar year until Christmas Day really comes along. That's when you feel like rivalries start heating up. You start kind of looking towards what's going to happen at the trade deadline, what's going to happen the rest of the season. But, you know, it's also the end of a calendar year. And one thing we're going to talk about is kind of some of the big moments of 2019 and you know Otto when I look back at this I think one of the biggest storylines of this past calendar year was just how much player movement we had how much more of a voice it kind of seemed like the players took on and how much more adamant they were about being in certain situations what were your thoughts on that this year
1: I like seeing personally I like seeing guys like Kawhi in a new space I like seeing Paul George in a new space I'm not one of these folks who thinks that uh, players should stay or should have stayed in their in their markets and never venture out uh, i think it creates a certain amount of excitement it you know creates a healthy amount of of you know rivalries within rivalries and i, I think all that all that stuff is kind of good um you know that said there's still a number of of these moves we'll you know we'll have to see how it plays out like you know Katie and Kyrie in Brooklyn i mean that obviously that 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 because KD's not playing clearly we're 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 not we're as fans we're not we haven't seen the you know the final uh, the final the final piece there.
0: Yeah, you know, and one of the exciting things to me is that when you look at this, just you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. NBA rosters are so small, and one player can make such a difference. Is that when one of these players moves, like a Kawhi, like an AD, it almost seems like the entire plate tectonics of the NBA is shifting with them. You know, right? Like last year. We talked about the Raptors as championship contenders all the way through. Kawhi moves and he goes to the Clippers. AD moves, he goes to the Lakers. And all of a sudden, those are the top two teams you're talking about, Clippers and Lakers. And, you know, that's the amazing thing to me is how much of an impact players like that have, you know, or even say when Kyrie said that he was going to stay in Boston, what that did for their roster. And then he ends up going and signing with the Nets. Is that kind of the most amazing thing about player movement in the NBA is just how much it can change on a year-to-year basis? And I don't think there's any other league that has that kind of an impact when their players change teams.
1: Well, that's the thing about the NBA. You know, it's not the NFL where where quarterbacks basically uh, and franchise players are with one team for for most of their career. It's not uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, again, where you do have some trades, but you don't have anything quite on the level of of, uh, of of major stars winding up in different markets, um, you know, a couple of years, um, you know, a couple of years in, um, but that that's that's what you get with with players taking the kind of the reins on on where they determine uh, they want that they want to you know where they want to go and who they, who they want to play with and play for, you know. To that end, as a Knicks fan, uh, I'm always marveled at the old argument that goes all the way back to seemingly the 90s, uh, seemingly another time. When you would have, uh, you know, when people would ask the question, "Well, who who wants to play on Madison Avenue?" Well, I mean, you know, let's think about it. Um, players don't need to play in front of Madison Avenue anymore. I mean, they've got they've got social media, all kinds of outlets. Upon a time, so um, I look at a franchise like the Knicks, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not in bewilderment or wondering why players don't want to come. Um, you know, they they don't have a particularly good a good setup. Uh, and there are some, so many more, so many other options, so many other places that they could play, and guys that they could play with. So, I, I unfortunately for Knicks fans, I feel like this is going to be a longer suffering um, experience. Uh, I don't know how you see it with with regard to the franchises that you're closest to.
0: Well, no, Otto. So that's that's kind of a perfect representation of kind of how all these players have changed hands, right? Like you have Kyrie and Katie who are both. Born and bred in New York, you know, they played in different markets for a long time. KD had a, had the option to go back to New York before he went to um, Golden State the first time. But kind of let's look at it from their perspective of choosing the Nets o- o- over the Knicks. You know, 15 years ago when, you know, you know, the Nets were playing in Jersey, I don't think that ever happens. But, you know, with everything that's going on with that Nets organization and kind of how they played last year, it made them more impressive to them in that moment than where the knicks were and, and that's kind of an interesting thing is why is the perception of the knicks kind of new york's grand team you know i wouldn't put them on the same stage as the yankees but i would say they're in that uh, probably like 1b as opposed to 1a but why is the perception of the knicks so much lower right now than the nets from a new Yorker's perspective?
1: Well, I mean part of it goes back to, you know, the the, the whole ABA thing and that the you know the you had, you had the NBA teams and obviously the Knicks were one of those and the ABA teams and the Nets were one of those and so, you know, just from, from from the jump there was always a bias if you were going to be rooting for a New York team, you were going to root for the New York Knicks. They had played in the Garden, they had all I, the I big say, stars cause, going on Cuz you the way never
0: back. would have rooted for the Nets, right? Nobody would have thought about rooting for yeah. the Nets.
1: No, I mean the, the Nets played on uh, you know outside of the five boroughs. They played on Long Island for a little bit. They played in New Jersey for a little bit. They were you know the redheaded stepchild essentially, if you, if you, if you will, to put it you know to put it that way. Um, and so that that's just that's just what what you have. And and the move to Brooklyn, um, with all that Brooklyn means and encompasses, and and you know the Jay Z influence is 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 a huge factor. Um, kind of the, the Brooklyn hipster, all of those little things kind of play into the fact that, you know, Brooklyn is a is a destination. It is not. Um, you know, and the Nets, therefore, now are a destination. They're not uh, they're not second fiddle. It's not a backseat. None of those things. And so, you know, the the Knicks are, are you know, probably finding a little bit funny, a little tougher to deal with uh, with that in this in this era. And I'm sure that Dolan and management are asking themselves trying to figure out ways that they can you know slay that slay that perception that um, you know that that you know players don't want to come to New York. I mean, if you told me five years ago with all of the movement that's going on, if you told me five years ago that they would basically, Knicks basically would not have a franchise player at least in the in the you know, what we consider to be a franchise player, you 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 couldn't convince me of that five years ago. And so now you know the question is will they ever get somebody and and if they do, Will it be one person or will it be, you know, kind of a triumvirate the way that, you know, the way that uh, LeBron and, and I'm going back some years, obviously, but the way that LeBron and D. Wade, I'm sorry, LeBron and Bosh went to went to Miami to join D. Wade. Um, it, it's, it feels like it's going to take something on that level to make that type of thing happen.
0: Would you say, and I feel like I know where you're going with this question already before I even ask it, but would you say that the Knicks had the most disappointing 2019 of any NBA team?
1: Yes, the Knicks are, without a doubt, the most disappointing franchise. I think Knicks fans thought that, they, that by this point they would have a, a, a star to call their own and and you know things would be trending up, but uh, that does not seem to be the case with this franchise. And I'm not sure exactly where the you know where the where the bottom is for them i could look at it you, know, you look at other teams like you look at a golden state you figure okay we, we know what happened there they have had some injuries they're going to get over these injuries uh you could look at a new orleans and figure okay we we know that you know, we're going to get zion back at some point with some bright spots going on there but with the Knicks franchise you just i don't feel that sense of uh of of optimism with regard to hey we're only a couple of wins away or a couple of guys away just not not feeling that
0: well, to, to me, the amazing thing is, so I, I everybody knows this, I'm not a New Yorker by any stretch. I live in the Sunshine State, which is probably one of the smallest markets in the NBA. But when you kind of looked at how the Knicks were positioning themselves, not only during the season last year, but what they were trying to do in the summer, you, you know, they, they traded Chris Stapps with the idea that they were going to clear cap space to bring in players like Kyrie and KD. And then when that didn't happen in the summer, then not only – Did they tank last year in hopes of landing a Zion Williamson, but they fell back in the draft. And so like when you look at some of the disappointments that were 2019, I think it's easy to say that every plan that the Knicks had in place didn't happen. And, you know, it's not only one thing to not go with your plan A or your plan B, but they were on plan C and plan D. And. That's kind of, it goes back to what you're saying. It goes back to where the branding is right now with the Nets as opposed to the Knicks and how they change that perception because it's a real struggle right now for them.
1: Yeah. So if you'll indulge me for a second, you know, we've got movie screens on our phones. We've got self-driving cars. McDonald's is now selling meatless burgers. And yet we're still kind of, there is still a section that's one of people wondering when, you know, won't, won't NBA players want to play on Madison Avenue. It's just that, that, to me, the Knicks are going to need a kind of a wholesale, you know, top to bottom, uh, scrubbing, cleansing, and just and I, I, I don't I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> as as a as a kid who was a fan of the Knicks back at, back of the day, uh, I don't I don't know what else to say or how else to phrase that.
0: I was going to say, at what point, you know, so many players grow up just wanting to play in the Garden. I, I remember last year when Duke visited MSG, and you had RJ Barrett and Zion both talking about wanting to play in the Garden, but then when you have Guys who are already in the NBA choosing to play in Barclays, and Barclays is a nice place. You know, it's great, but it doesn't have the history that the Garden. Do the Knicks, and this is probably the last question I have on this topic before we pivot to what happened with Golden State this past year. Do the Knicks try and sell their tradition a little bit too much, and instead they need to try and just worry about positioning themselves in their own market?
1: I I don't think that they, the Knicks are necessarily relying on on tradition. I mean, the, the games that I've been to, um, the, the last few that I've been to, I, I don't get that that sense. Um, the the sense that I get is is just that they are seemingly rudderless and directionless, um, you know, through coaching changes, um, Fisdale, Hornacek, you know, others, and I don't I just don't get the sense that they've got. Um, a plan, as you mentioned earlier, there were, you know, once you're having to start reaching down to your plan C and D and E, you know, you're, you're in big trouble and and players have uh, players are way more intelligent now than they've been and have way more invested into uh, what is best for them in their long-term, you know, their, their career short-term and long-term. And what is the vision and what is the plan? And if, and if, you know, if the player is not feeling what you're selling, they're going to bypass you because there are other options. There are better options. I mean, you know, the folks in, in New Orleans with Pelicans, they had a plan. You know, um, I mean, other markets just have have been able to um, make it clear to players what they want to do and what they are trying to do, and, uh, and you know, and go and get it done. So, yeah, I, I just see a whole lot of problems for um, for for the next uh, down down the line. Let's, let's get into a different team that is currently underperforming, but for a whole different set of reasons: Golden State Warriors. Sir, what can you tell me about the Warriors and what do you think is, is, where is this club, where is this club heading?
0: So the interesting thing is we've never seen this happen to a team like this, right? Like the Warriors were so far ahead of everybody two, three years ago. And then you even look back to last year, you know, if Clay doesn't tear the ACL, if KD doesn't have the Achilles injury, they probably win that finals. But I I don't know if we've ever seen a team be decimated like that in in such a short amount of time, you know, in any of the four professional sports. And so it was – and we we were going to go over this, what our toughest moments were in 2019. I think collectively, not only watching KD go down in a game where he tried to come back after already being injured, and then you also had Clay go down, I think, the very next night in Golden State. Watching those two guys on back-to-back nights, I believe what it was, it might have been two games apart Mm -hmm. from where it was, but just watching kind of the fall of a Titan in in real time, you know, you see that stuff happen in in the summertime when players move or they try to find situations to better themselves, not only financially, but professionally as well. And when they want to take that next step in their career, you never see it happen in real time like that because of injuries and for me that was so hard to watch because this team had been put on a pedestal and for good reason because they had dominated the NBA they were game changers you know they were four all-stars that were working together for the betterment of the team and to just kind of watch that happen and then to see what kind of happened to them this year as injuries continued to kind of derail them and I do think that was five years of extra seasons on their legs kind of building up and it was a team that I think needed a break. It needed a respite Uh, and for them to kind of change courses so quickly, you know, they they did that sign and change with D'Angelo Russell in hopes of just adding a third star. But the thing is when Steph doesn't have clay to help him space the floor, D'Angelo Russell is not necessarily a spacer. He's more of a driver and a passer and he's a good point guard for what he is, but he doesn't compliment Steph the way that clay does. And, And the second that Steph went down to see them pivot so fast and say, all right, we're looking towards the next season. I think they're in a better situation because of what happened to them this year in 2020, and we can talk about that later, than they would have been had they played out this year with the roster that they went into 2019. What's your take?
1: Well, you love to see guys, young guys get opportunities. You hate to see young guys get opportunities at the the expense of superstars, iconic future Hall of Famers going down. So uh, going back to to the finals, I mean, for me, part of part of the, uh, you know, the injury bug kind of kind of picked up. I think it was game two, if I'm not mistaken, where Clay tried to do the, the, the kick out to get the foul call, wound up coming down awkwardly on the leg. And while they won that game, they lost the game three that he missed. And so that kind of you know put the Warriors a little bit back on their heels. And then, as you mentioned, games five and game six, six successive games with with injuries. Um you know, the um, uh, KD, of course, and and then and then Clay, and that kind of put the kibosh on 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 what uh, on what the Warriors were trying to do. But there's no question that uh, that if you're if you're looking for a, a bright spot here, you know, it's it's you know, seeing that other guys are getting some some opportunities. You know, for for playing time, I mean, Eric Pascal for for a while is you know lightening up. Um, you know, and then of course the the, the bizarre injury to, to to curry i mean that was not that's not something that that load management would have would have cured it was just one of those you know go and drive in the lane and you somebody lands on top of you i mean those things those things unfortunately happen so you know i like the fact that the um you know that we're seeing some the warriors are having to show their depth a little bit you know obviously they're they're not they're not the same you know club that 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 uh, that, that was playing last june clearly no no way in shape form but um but you do kind of feel like, okay, this this club is, you know, the younger guys are getting some experience, and uh, and everybody will be coming will come back healthy, and they'll be able to you know run in 2020, and presumably you know be the same warrior club that that uh, that we all expected they would be at the outset of 2019. Um, yeah,
0: it's going to be weird to see them. And not to cut you off, it's going to be weird to see them take that step back this year. But you feel like they're going to take five steps forward next year with a high draft pick, with I believe they have a second first round pick. And so, you know, that was part of the problem last year in 2019 in the finals. You know, that bench wasn't very deep. Now right. I think they're going to have an opportunity to re solidify that second unit, kind of beef it up a little bit, help their starters, because really the last two years they've been kind of reliant on. Steph, Clay, Dre, and KD, you know, and without Igadala, you know, I, I think we've seen how big of a difference he made for them as well. But you mentioned one quick thing, and before we get to kind of our best moments of 2019, was load management the biggest story in the NBA this past year?
1: <laughs> yeah, so so load management, of, of course, was. And and, and if you, uh, you out there in, in uh, listening land uh, heard, you, you, you know that uh, we had an ask out a question which was about load management. Uh, but but yeah I, I i don't think that it certainly did has not that topic had not gotten uh nearly the kind of attention uh you know or you should say that it has gotten much more attention now than 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 uh, than has in years past um uh any any final takes for you on load management
0: No, to to me, I I was happy with the comments. You know, I I think LeBron does the best job of any of the four major sports as kind of being the focal point of the league and the focal point of the players. And I thought he he put it well this, this past week. I think it was this past week that he came out with this. But I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he basically said that there's too many young kids that come to an arena to watch me play. I don't know how many games that I have left in my career. And so that if I'm not hurt, I'm playing. Or if coach isn't sitting me because of an injury, than I'm playing. And, you know, that's a player that's been in the league 17 years that has a lot of miles on those legs from not only all the finals appearances he's made, but all the playoff runs that he's made as well. And, you know, to hear him ca- kind of stick up and that's a guy that takes probably better care of his body than anybody else in the league. To hear him say those things, I think that resonates with the other players in the league because he is um uh, the, the most vocal among them and i think that the way that he goes about things are the right way so you know if lebron is saying that he's going to play when he's healthy i think other players will take notice
1: yeah he look he's the elder statesman of the league he has earned every every right to uh to make the choices that he feels he needs to make in order to prolong his career and, and to uh, stave off any injury uh and so you know to that end uh, you you do you lebron whatever you got to do keep it going man keep it going i mean i i i remember watching him when he when he came in the league in 2003 and just like to think that you know we're still being treated to this amazing show uh, you know, we, we're, we are the lucky ones. I mean, 17 years in, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look, it doesn't look like it, you know, 17 years later, but it's amazing.
0: Run. And the playoffs felt weird without him, right? Like it yeah. felt like there was a missing piece of the NBA fabric. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. It's like that, that empty chair at the, at the holiday table or something like that. I mean, just, it was really, really awkward. I mean, in, um, in, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I definitely felt like I was missing something like I wasn't, Getting my, you know, two or three night fill of, of LeBron. Not even that he was going to make the finals, but just you just felt to kind cheated, of... you know, like exactly. like you
0: didn't get the dessert at the dinner table that you really wanted. You felt <laughs> cheated.
1: Right, right,
0: right, right. Uh, okay, okay, real quick, let's wrap up on this. Your favorite moment from 2019.
1: Well, so so I got I got a I got a few kind of you know faves. Um, you know, I, I think the 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 image that's lasting in my in my head, it you know, it wasn't the finals and it didn't involve the Warriors or the Lakers, but it was that that Lillard meme, where where he had that shot against Oklahoma City, that whatever thirty foot shot that that uh, sent uh, the Thunder home in the first round, and then he was mobbed by teammates on the sideline. I mean, we know what the, we know what the image is, and we've we've seen, but that's it. And like even. Even I mean, Kawhi's shot in the Eastern Conference Finals Game Seven that bounced, I think, what 19 times before it went down. Clearly, yeah. that was a bigger shot, no question. But the but the Dame Willard reaction shot is just kind of what get to me what encapsulates 2019.
0: If John Morant would have hit that dunk, would it have been the best dunk of 2019. I, I, th- uh, I think it would have been. I think it would have been uh, close.
1: I think it would have been the best dunk of the 2000s, and and because uh, the only one that it would have would have uh, supplanted would have been the Vince Carter over Frederick Weiss from, from 1999 again. So, I'm sorry, from 2000. So uh, if folks want to, want to Google that one, feel, feel free. It was an, it was Olympics, uh, not NBA, but, uh, but it was, it was uh, Vince Carter-esque.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. So I I have two, my favorite moments were not only watching Toronto fans and Kawhi Leonard raise the uh, trophy this past summer. I thought it was great for their fans. I thought it was great for that franchise to take the risks that they did And, you know, the way they built that team around Kawhi and the way they managed him all the year, it was the best story and it was the best playoff run for a franchise that had never won a finals. And so that was great. And then, you know, the way Dwayne Wade went out, you know, the last couple seasons of his career were not Dwayne Wade-esque, but some of the plays that he made down the stretch, some of the game winners that he had for Miami and look. This is coming from a guy who spent the last five years working for the Orlando Magic and their broadcasting <laughs> department. And you know, so much of it was about how Dwayne Wade had just killed that Magic team over the years. But to see the way that he went out in style, doing his thing, you know, that doesn't happen a lot in this league unless you can go out on top. But I was proud of him. He is the biggest of pros, you know, for lack of a better word. He's a pros pro. Uh, to see him go out the way he did, I was very happy.
1: Wayne is a, is a class act. He's a class guy. I, mean, I had the privilege of working with him on some magazine stories when I was at ESPN, the magazine, um, some cover shoots and things like that. You know, he, you know what what he is, or at least what you, what you see, is exactly what he is. He's a, he is is um, It's a superstar, yet he's a humble guy at the same time. And um, you know, I, I certainly um, you know I know he's retired now. wish him all the best in in, in every in everything that he does. And, and um, you know, it was just. A, Um, again, like LeBron was just thrilled to be able to, um, to have, uh, be able to to say that I saw him play, you know, back in the, in the heyday for, for, uh, for for those years. So, uh, so with that, that is the caper on 2019.
0: That was dope.
1: So looking ahead to 2020, what do we think is going to happen in 2020? Obviously, we know there's going to be Lakers and Bucks probably at the end, probably some Clippers. Uh, We know there's going to be an MVP race. There may be a Zion Williamson siding. We're not exactly sure. But one thing that we know we're going to have to contend with, Aaron, is this issue of a proposal that's came out in the last couple of days or that's came out recently. Uh, It's a a proposal for a 78-game schedule. So losing four games but would include an in-season early season tournament that would involve all 30 teams and possibly a play-in tournament to determine the seeds seven and eight for the nba playoffs now all of this goodness won't start until the 20 so starting with the 2021 22 season what do we think of this aaron
0: well, don't forget about the great $1 million prize that they are also going to give to the winning team if this does happen. Now, I, I don't, I'm not one to like be frustrated, and I think Adam Silver has done a great job with this league and where he's taken it in the way that he's managed these franchises and their owners, but this is this is an issue that I think is contrived off of what the college basketball season does, right? Like the college basketball season – for all of its ups and downs and the, and the way that it's run and all the issues that it has, one thing people do enjoy is they enjoy the kind of like Thanksgiving week tournaments that a lot of these teams go on and kind of just the intrigue that it gives to the early part of their schedule. But the problem is, is that if you're the NBA and you sit here and you try and adapt this, college teams play 30 games in a year and those tournaments are already built into their schedule and you know at most they're going to play 32 i think and then if you make a run to the ncaa tournament final the most games you'll play in a year is 40. nba teams are playing 82 games in a single calendar year and not to mention the seven game playoff series that you're tasked with if you make it to the playoffs and so one issue i have is the purse isn't a big enough incentive to some of the high-level players in the league. Take LeBron James, for instance. I, I think his AAV is around $35, 36000000 million a year. Do you think a $1 million prize is a big enough incentive for him to put extra games and extra mileage on his legs at this point in his career as opposed it is to a guy that's playing at the end of the Magic's bench like Michael Carter Williams? It's not, and I just don't think it makes enough sense for LeBron to participate in, in a tournament like that. Now, the other issue is is that regardless of what the in-season tournament is, how long that is, also the play-in, docking four games from an 82-game schedule is not enough when you're already probably going to add 85, 86 games, depending where they land in these tournaments. So I, I like the idea... But the initial and it's probably going to go through a lot of different phases through before it actually gets worked out, the initial idea is fine what these numbers that they've been presented with are not enough to make it viable for players to want to make this happen
1: so yeah if you, if you're making thirty million dollars a season or you know there are a handful of players who are obviously making that amount uh to 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 you know lure an extra million to, to throw that out there uh I mean that that's that's like. You know, I mean, that could be endorsement money that it's, that someone's already getting, or you know, a fraction of a shoe deal. So it it feels like they're going to uh, need to it's approach like this round
0: money in for a draft for a draft. Right, right, yeah, right, advantage.
1: exactly. So they're going to need to kind of you know come up with a. I think they're going to need to come up with a different way, a different form of an incentive. And the next thing is okay, so we're playing in this in this tournament in November, which is probably right around the time that. You know, you, you've you've been playing now for a month. You're just starting to hit your your, your stride. You know, the, the the preseason and early season cobwebs and dust is all you know, it's all out of your system. And so now, for some guys, you know, you're talking about what you know. Is this a how, how do I so how do I approach this? Is this is a is this a week off? Am I am I am I playing more intensively than I would have if this were just a regular, you know, Tuesday Thursday Sunday schedule? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how to how to Play this, and then, and then, what? What is my? I mean, obviously, one. You, you know, everybody wants to win. At least I, I imagine most most folks want to win. But what is my? You know, so what have I won here? I mean, everyone knows what an NBA title is. What is? What is this? And where does it? Where will it ultimately rest in the you know pantheon of 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 titles and accolades that that that, that people can 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 hoist it down down the line, Uh and then God forbid. What if somebody gets hurt in one of these tournaments? That tournament was my next comment on
0: that. You, right. You know, so teams and front offices have invested way too much in players now for them to to play in a situation like this. Like if if I'm an NBA head coach and I'm playing in this tournament and I'm playing probably three games in four days, right? Which is something that the league has tried to cut down on. There's no more four games in five nights, which is great for the league. But you're playing games on back-to-back nights, most notably. I'm not playing my high-level guys in this tournament. I'm saying, hey, take those games off. We'll figure it out with our bench because it's not going to affect our regular season numbers. The, the the one thing that I do think is intriguing on this proposal is the play-in for the seven and eight seed in both conferences, and then also the reseeding, I believe, in, in the semifinals if it got there. Those are interesting concepts because I do think that for the last few years, at least on the Eastern Conference side of thing, there has not been much of a differentiating factor between whichever teams took seven and eight, as opposed to what teams finished ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th, right? Maybe there right. was a difference between 14th and 15th, but that would create intrigue for those final two playoff spots, which I think, you know, for the better part of really the last five, six years have been lacking for the NBA. So that's a good fix for those. I don't think though, that we need an in-season tournament.
1: Well, so so you raised an interesting point with regard to the to the to the conference. Uh, you know, trying to make the playoffs. I mean, just looking at the standings, you know, as as of this moment. Um, but I think this is what I'm about to say is pretty much held true for almost any time over the last you know recent years. Uh, in the East, seeds two through six are separated by fewer than two games. In the West, seeds two through six are separated by less than fewer than three games. So you've you've already got kind of a, a lot of drama built into that into those middle seeds. And I, and I suspect that this would be a way to create a little bit more drama in that seven eight nine ten 10, um, you know, create somewhat of a carrot for, for, a, for a club that, you know, might have gotten squeezed out the last week of the season. There's still something to play for. There's still a little drama there. And I I get that um, you know, go, going back to the, to the, uh, to the early season tournament, um, you know, in, in, in addition to, to injury and, you know, whether guys should play or shouldn't play. So here, here's, here's, one thought that I, that I had. What if you scrapped the entire preseason and you made this tournament the preseason?
0: What if you did I love that. that. Yeah, to, yeah, to me, that makes more sense, right? NBA head coaches hate the preseason. I think NBA fans hate the preseason because they hate going to games where a LeBron's not going to play or a Kyrie's not going to play or Kawhi's not going to play. And this would give you the opportunity if you made the run through this tournament to kind of get games under your belt. You know, the, the whole thing is NBA head coaches will tell you they really need three games to figure out where they are. And exactly. then if you're eliminated, you get more of a training camp. You know, I, exactly. I think that's an incentive. And I think the biggest thing that probably hasn't been hit on that a lot of people aren't realizing is if this in-season tournament does happen, I don't get the sense it's going to happen domestically the NBA wants to have a footprint in London and Mexico city uh, in one of those international markets. And so I ultimately think that's where this tournament happens. So not only are, are, are you losing games here? Stateside, you know, you're losing two home games for whichever team you're a fan of four games total in your regular season. Uh, but then you're watching games that are in a time zone that's six hours away or, you, you know, a, a different country that, is not going to be held where you would see those games in your season ticket package
1: right and it's and it's also coming at a time when yes the nfl is going on but it's not like you're contending with you know with baseball as well whereas if you made this tournament uh, a preseason tournament you know it would be kind of a you know, well, the world series is going on anyway we're going to take we're going to you know fold up shop and take everybody overseas and kind of run them through you know you you can have um you know you can have one the the, the the, the West Coast teams could play in China and Japan and the east East Coast can, teams can play in europe and and the central teams can play in Mexico yeah and, and that they, you know that that starts to to make a little bit more sense and and like you say you know the the teams that that you know uh win, then the starts can come out right before the right before the season starts. And for the teams that don't, they get the uh, you know little extra time in the gym, as it were.
0: Are, are we asking NBA players to do too much? Because think about what their summers are already like. You know, if you're a first or second year player, you're already playing in summer league. Uh, if you're a fringe guy, you're already playing in summer league just to try and make a roster if you've been there for your third season. Uh, or if you're a superstar in this league, you. Have, a lot of people will say you have an obligation to your country, right? To play in exactly. FIFA or the Olympics. Right. To add this burden to them at an age where we're already so concerned about the longevity of a player's career and injuries, I, I think is very ill
1: So this goes back to the old double-edged sword thing in my mind where you have, you know, you, you want to create marketable players, cre- you've created marketable players, and now you want to market those players to an even greater degree because they're now very marketable. And so, you know, it, um, you know, it, it's, it's a high class problem, you know, to, to have. Um, but, but I, I do think that there is a, a risk of, of, you know, overextending not just an injury, but also to the brand uh, to, to, to a degree, to an extent that, that, you know, that something like that should be taken into account. Now, to your point, you know, if you are talking about taking this tournament, and having it overseas, now you're having guys play in markets that, don't normally see NBA basketball. And that becomes, you know, an interesting question. And if you're having, if you're scrapping a preseason in, in lieu of this, not that anyone is suggesting that at this point, but if that's what ultimately winds up happening, that becomes a very different, you know, a very different, um, question because you've could that you can factor in you can give the guys an extra three to four games off uh, or days off i should say before the regular season starts and then the regular season starts and you're and you just you just run through the season as normal although you know perhaps a slightly shorter one at that
0: all right Otto, crystal ball time you know we've kind of spoken about what we foresee happening in 2020 and beyond but let's kind of talk about maybe some things that we hope to see as the calendar turns and as we kind of uh, start racing towards the NBA finals, you know, kind of what are some of the things that you kind of envision happening this year and, and where you see this season going? Well, you know,
1: looking, looking at, looking at like the Miami Heat and wondering, you know, are they a team that could, could challenge and contend? I mean, everyone thinks that Milwaukee is going to be at the final table, but you know, who do they go through to get there? Uh, and, you know, Miami is playing everybody tough. They're, they're, they're not taking any nights off. Um, And so, you know, you wondered like, can a Miami edge pass to Boston? Can they edge pass to Philly? I don't know. What do you you think?
0: So to, to me, I think Miami can make some noise and, you know, Jimmy Butler in the playoffs is one of like the true great gifts that we get in the NBA, just kind of like his passion and how he runs. And I think that he is such a good fit with that team and how they're running. I do think that they can make some noise just because I don't know if there's any player in the league that plays with a chip on his shoulder, like, jimmy butler does and that's after this guy's gotten paid a few times (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just his second contract he's been paid handsomely a few different times so i I do think you know for me the thing that i'm looking forward to kind of in 2020 and beyond and this is my bold prediction we have not seen zion williamson yet and you know for what zion is and kind of all of his athletic gifts I'm going to go on record now and say that John ja Morant is going to be the best player in this past summer's NBA draft class. And I think in three years, John ja Morant will be a top 10 player in the NBA. I have been that impressed with them. You know, the things that you hear other players saying, like Kevin Love giving him love after kind of what happened the other night, but he has been so impressive for a rookie. His athletic ability is so impressive. And he is just so much fun to watch. I'm going on record now that he will be better than Zion. Lakers. Oh, wow. That's,
1: that's, that's, a, that's a bold statement. So, so, um, <laughs> I, so I, I wish, I wish right. I, it, exactly. So I, I, I I'm going to make a, a, a statement that is uh, perhaps not as bold, but, but, but in that, in that general vein. So my prediction is that the finals will books. Yes. Okay. Well, that's probably not the, not the, not the, not the surprise there. But I, and I'm look. I'm saying this as a Lakers fan, but I'm thinking the Clippers are going to eclipse the Lakers and get to the NBA Finals. I, I just think that their depth when it when it when it comes to crunch time, their depth is just going to be too much for other teams in Western Conference.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's so tough with everything that they have in that second unit. And I I think that, you know, part of their struggles early on is that they're still on this rotating schedule of when Kawhi will play when Paul George will play that we haven't really seen them together a whole lot. And I don't know if we're going to get that a lot in the regular season, but once kind of that second season starts in the playoffs run, I think it's fair to say that that's probably not going to be a Western conference finals match, right? It's probably going to happen in the semis and to see kind of that clash of Titans. If it does happen in the semifinals, that could be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. That's That's going to be epic. I mean, uh, it fun to see the, you know, the, the LA faithful trying to, trying to pick a side or, or I guess what, with the Lakers fans showing up at Clippers games <laughs> and you know, you know how that goes, but, uh, but the, look, the series is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, the Western conference uh, top to bottom from, from the jump is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the Eastern conference is just going to be kind of a, you know, the question will be how many games will it take the bucks to, <laughs> to get to the finals? You know, well, you know, well, uh, but yeah, but, uh, but aside from that, I, I, the other, the other, you know, prediction I've I, I got to make here is like I, I'm still not sold on on Houston um, yeah. you know they they struggle with with you know against against winning you know winning clubs uh, and I, I just feel and fear that uh, as great of a show as they put on and, and Harden in particular um, that they could very easily be, be a one and done depending on, on who their first round matchup is
0: it goes back to the thing that we said last week right Harden is yet to win anything in the NBA. And I don't know if that's a product of the personnel that's been around him, the coaches he's had, or just the time period that he's played in, you know, but it, it says a lot that you have a player like that who puts up the numbers that he does and is yet to win uh, anything in, in the NBA. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my thoughts on that. I, I will say this, I, I know that you'd wanted to predict this, the 2020 MVP, probably going to be Giannis. I don't know if there's anyone else that can eclipse what he does for that Bucks team.
1: No, no it, it it he's just he's just uh you know you, you've said before we do have not seen anyone you know like him uh you know doing doing what he does with with the consistency that he does it so uh look you know uh, I don't think any other player in the league can, can say they were you know um you know that they that they somehow were, were were overlooked I mean Giannis is just is just a you know he's just having a moment you know right 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 through here and. Um, and he's still, he's still getting better, which is the scary part for, you know, everybody you saw how he dropped those threes. Um, you know, I just don't know, you know, is there anything that he cannot do? Thanks to all of you for listening to our special year end edition of catch and shoot 2.0. 2019 was a great year and 2020 promises to be even better. We appreciate each and every one of you who join us each week. Thanks also to our producers, Scott Turkin, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor. Ben Wolfen, for being such great teammates. Please check out all of our other Pure Hoops media shows.
0: And just a reminder, the Mike Wise Show has a new episode each Monday. Buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt drops each Thursday. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops every Friday. And Otto and myself are back each Wednesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. Please check all of them out. Download and subscribe, rate, and review. But most of all, just enjoy them. And everyone, happy holidays and a happy new year to you. And until we meet again, happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll see you on the other side. Caption Shoots 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.
1: Look around! You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs>